Welcome to All Aboard, a new podcast helping parents navigate the ADHD journey. Whether you're at the beginning of this journey asking what now, or you've trodden this path for a while asking what's next, All Aboard is here for you. We will bring you key information through expert interviews in many different areas of the field, mixed in with real life interviews of other families and parents to help you feel less alone. I invite all parents of children with ADHD and those interested in learning more to come on board. I'm Claire, and this is hopefully obvious from the fact that I'm recording a podcast for parents on an ADHD journey. I too am a parent of a child with ADHD, and I wanted to take this opportunity to share with you why I decided to make this podcast. And I thought the best way to do that would be to start by asking myself the same questions that I look forward to asking other parents and families along the way. So I'm here to share my story with you as the mum of a child with ADHD and what I have experienced on this journey so far. Hi, I'm Claire. Um, I have two children, the eldest of which is my son, who's 12 years old and has ADHD. Um, He was diagnosed with ADHD almost six years ago. In fact, it will be six years ago this month. Um, So we've been on this journey for some time. Um, I also have a daughter who is eight years old and at times possibly shows symptoms of ADHD, but I'm approaching that in a watch this space um, mindset in terms of her. So when we very first started to notice differences in my son, he was six years old and it became or it started to become apparent around that age that he was struggling perhaps in ways that other children weren't. Um, I think that we saw the bulk of this at home, um, but it was also starting to become an issue at school as well. He primarily was struggling emotionally and behaviourally. I think that was the first signs that something else was going on, that something wasn't quite right. And that ultimately is what led me to go and see my GP. And at that stage, I wasn't going in search of a diagnosis. And I actually wasn't even going with the mindset that there is something in inverted commas wrong with my son. I thought it was me. I thought it was my parenting because no matter what I did, no matter how I tried, I couldn't seem to help him. I couldn't seem to manage his emotions, regulate his emotions, help him overcome certain challenges or navigate certain situations behaviourally. At this point, his little sister would have been only about 18 months old. He was four and a half when she was born. So, We were in a situation at home where, you know, we were still very much in that toddler stage and aware that perhaps there was some impact from him in terms of adjustment there. He also hadn't um, been at school that long either. He'd started school when she was, well, in fact, just a couple of weeks before she was born. So we were still very, very new to many of these stages. Um, And perhaps also not really that 
clued up or aware in terms of what was developmentally normal and what wasn't. Um, it was just very apparent that we had a child who was struggling emotionally um, and that was really starting to present issues both in school and at home. And as I said, that led me to then to go and see a GP and to look for help, but primarily to look for help for me as a parent. Like, what am I doing wrong? How can I approach this? What can I do better? Um, and the GP offered me a referral, um, which we were very fortunate to be able to do privately. And again, because at that stage, I had no idea really what I was getting referral for. I also didn't appreciate just how fortunate we were to go down that private route when I said that that was something that we could do. It, I didn't realise the enormity and the importance of that decision in that moment, as I have later discovered due to the waiting lists um, for children on and CAMs in general. Um, but we were able to go privately, which meant that we saw a consultant pretty quick. Um, and I remember that first meeting, um, first appointment where we sat in the consultant's office and he talked to me and he talked to Zane and he observed Zane as he was talking to me. And at the end, um, he said, well, I think I could give you a diagnosis, but we do need to go through the formal process of that. And that really took me by surprise genuinely it was a shock because it wasn't what I was expecting um and so there was a lot of emotions tied up in that too but that then began the process of getting a diagnosis so we obviously had various different forms and screenings that we had to complete as a family and the same were then given to the school for them to complete on his behalf and they were then submitted. And lo and behold, at the next appointment, he confirmed that, yes, he did indeed um, have ADHD. And so at six and a half years old, my son was given that diagnosis. And that set us on the journey to where we are today. I think sometimes it's hard to spot these things when you are in it and you are parenting and you have no experience of anything being any other way. Um, but we were very much living in a state of emotional dysregulation. And that could look anything like um, exploding, you know, that zero to 100 about anything, a reaction that for the most part would often feel so disproportionate to whatever was happening in that particular moment. Um, and it could be triggered by a variety of things. And when it was happening in our house, you know, behind closed doors, it was a lot and it was stressful, but it was actually the moments when perhaps these things were happening in front of other people that I found them hardest to navigate. Um, probably the very first example of that I remember was pre-diagnosis. In fact, it was just before my daughter was born. So this would have been as my son was starting school and he would have been four and a half and we were in Ikea, of all places. And on the way out towards the checkout, he spotted this little roller, you know, hand luggage type suitcase. And obviously in that very impulse driven brain that he has and a sudden hit of dopamine, he saw this suitcase and he wanted this suitcase. And to give some context to that, I think we had not long been away and probably talked about the fact that he was getting a bit old for his trunky and it might be a good opportunity to introduce something like that. So 
there was a logic to him seeing it, but he absolutely fixated on this suitcase. And bearing in mind, I'm heavily pregnant here and we're on our way out of the store. Um, and I was very calm and I explained to him, yeah, we will get you a suitcase, but let's not get that one. Let's do a little bit of research and let's make sure we get the one that's right for you. Um, I was trying to make it more fun as well because he was so young, but he just could not cope. And he had a huge meltdown. I mean, he was just so emotional and he cried and he protested and he shouted um, all the way, you know, down the um, the moving walkway through the kind of warehouse to the till queue. And I tried, obviously, to stay very calm and I just kept repeating the same thing. And as I was stood in the queue, this old woman appeared, and it's always old women, um, and basically just started having a go at me about my son, about his disgusting behaviour and that I needed to get him under control and this was absolutely unacceptable. Um, and I stood there just as this heavily pregnant woman as she just blasted me with a tirade of abuse. Um, obviously, needless to say, it was totally inappropriate and nothing to do with her. And I told her as much. But it was it was probably the first moment where I saw it through somebody else's eyes. Now, she was unnecessarily judgmental and she certainly did nothing to help the situation. He was a child who had fixated on something and he was unhappy about it and he was expressing it. And, you know, whether she liked it or not, it was how he was feeling. But it was clear in that moment that those feelings were very, very big. Um, and that was the nature of the way that things continued. Um, but at this point, you know, he's still just starting school. He's in that preschool reception age where he's so full of energy. But as are all the kids, you know, none of them want to sit still. They haven't yet learned to wait their turn or not to butt in and or to, you know, to think about um, how they're reacting to things. And it felt very raw and very real. And it, I guess it continued to escalate that way. Um, and then, you know, fast forward once we were at school and he was starting to have play dates, it might be the case that the play date was over and it would be time either for his friend to go home or for me to pick him up from his friend's house. And he just could not cope. He would go from being very happy and having the best time to just being absolutely, utterly distraught, you know, to the point where when it's in someone else's house, you don't quite know how to extricate them. And these are people that you don't yet know either because your child's new to a school and these new friends and you're so worried the whole time about judgment. Um, but I would say that it was definitely those emotional or big emotional moments, that dysregulation that was the first issues that we experienced and the first situations, I think, where... I feel like I tried everything and I just didn't know how to better navigate certain situations. And then obviously, as they start to get that little bit older, you start to become aware that maybe that's not how other children are responding to certain things or or managing in, in certain situations. Um, and I guess the gap starts to widen a little bit. Um and ultimately, that's what led me to then go and seek some help because I was dealing with a baby and a toddler and a, and a developing child who clearly was struggling. And the knock on impact of that was that I was struggling and I felt like I was failing and I felt like I was being judged. 
and I just didn't know what to do about it if I'm honest um so I yeah I went to see the GP and that's what um set us on on this path um so when we got that diagnosis he was six and a half years old and it was a complete shock because it was unexpected and I didn't really as is the case for most people have any understanding of what ADHD was beyond the stereotypes um and at the same time no one wants to think that there is something different about their child or that there is something wrong with their child because we've all grown up in situations where we ourselves from our own childhood want to be accepted um and the same and liked and I guess that was the beginning of a real journey for me too as well as the journey that he was on um trying to help him understand it in child appropriate ways it was a journey for me too because I think you start to process that emotionally and I almost think there's an element of grieving involved there if I'm really honest um obviously there's the journey of understanding what ADHD means and how that'll impact you and if I'm honest a little bit of naivety because right at the offset there was probably an element of my brain and albeit this is completely wishful thinking where I thought oh brilliant diagnosis job done um we can move on now everything will be fine um obviously I know that that's not the case and um and I, so I was learning what ADHD meant beyond the stereotypes, what that version of ADHD was for us, because obviously everybody presents differently and that evolves as children grow older. And also what that meant for us as a family, because I think all of us have such romantic notions when we decide to have children and, you know, we, we don't really think much beyond having a lovely baby um, and suddenly you find yourself in a situation where your family life and parenting isn't presenting the version that you think perhaps you expected or you signed up for, in for want of a better word. And I think that's hard. Um, there, is, there was definitely or has been a real process of acceptance for me in that too. And that's being brutally honest because I love my son I couldn't love him more and I think he's amazing and I always have done and I've always innately understood him what he was feeling and what he was thinking from the moment he came into this world but I think there's a big period of adjustment and there's a huge amount of learning um and at the very beginning of that journey I think it's just simply trying to understand right okay so what next um, and that began a process for us with medication. That's a very personal choice, but we have been using a methylphenidate for him since he was young. He started that, albeit on a very, very, very small dose at six and a half, which we've gradually um, titrated up over the years and tried to keep that very balanced um, in terms of any impacts of side effects and things like that. But alongside that, all of the interventions and adjustments needed in life at home, um, you know, socially, educationally, physiologically, and it just, you know, just in about every way possible, it has 
had an impact and a change in our lives. And we've really had to go on that journey together. We've had to learn and adapt and adjust. And just as you think that you've kind of come to terms or grips with one element, you know, something changes. And that's the nature of it with a developing brain. Um, But I think if I had to say how I felt in that moment, more than anything, it was shock because it wasn't expected. Then it was wishful thinking that, that was tick, job done, off the list, we can move forward now. Um, and then and then acceptance and learning. And that's got me to where I am today, or where we are today, I should say. So as I mentioned, um, one area that requires massive intervention is education. Um, our education system is not built for children who do not sit still and concentrate quietly and my son is a hugely energetic, um, outgoing ball of curious energy. And he makes sense of the world by moving through it and experiencing that in quite a dynamic way. And as he got older and was going through, obviously, lower school, junior, well, infant school, then junior school at the time, we've had to put a number of interventions in place and those have had to grow and adapt with him on that journey. Um, Also, as we learnt too, when we learnt what was a function of having ADHD and perhaps what wasn't and what were adjustments and interventions that were available to us or were necessary, um, what to kind of fight for and push back on and what to, I guess, support him into and understanding that just because he finds something hard um, or that it's it doesn't come easy for him to learn in, in a particular way doesn't mean that he needs to be shoehorned in a square peg round hole situation. Um, th- and those interventions, they have obviously changed significantly over the six years. At that stage, I think he must have been in year two. Um, And now he's in year eight. So those needs are very, very, very different. Um, I'm very fortunate to say that we have, over those years, been able to build a really great working partnership with um, the Senko at my son's school. He's at an all-through school, so actually the school that he started in year R is still the same school that he's at now in year eight. And we've been able to carry those transitions through and build on that understanding of his needs collectively. Um, It helped. We were also able to seek um, the input of an educational psychologist and that was relatively early on too. And I didn't realise just how beneficial that would be either when we did that. Um, The reason that we went to seek the report from the educational psychologist is because it also looked very likely that Zane had dyslexia. And that was the primary driver for that report and assessment. Um, What I couldn't have appreciated is just how significant that report would go on to be for the necessary interventions for him in the classroom to do with ADHD either. And also it gave me a real sense of 
um, principle or a justification for requesting certain things. I think when you are on the beginning of this journey with a young child and certainly in my situation, if that's your eldest child, so you have yet to really have much experience of the school system yourself in terms of what's allowed, what's not allowed, what you can ask for, what you can't ask for. I think having that report was so powerful in a way I couldn't have possibly imagined when I booked it in the first instance to give me a sense of understanding of what adjustments could be made and should be made, you know, that what was not just it would be nice if that this was a necessary change for him at a special educational needs level. Um, And that was really, really powerful. And despite the fact that, you know, he's now 12, he's no longer six or seven, um, I still refer to many of those elements today because it looked at things like his working memory, for example, and I would never really have understood how ADHD impacted that and how that then impacts him in the classroom Um, or even in other situations outside of a school environment he's immensely sporty it's his absolute love great love in life is sport but even in a coaching dynamic doing a sport that he absolutely loves you can't give him too many instructions or pieces of information together because his brain simply cannot hold that many in relation to his working memory. So it's been so helpful and useful to us as a foundation to build on and to start that with the school. And we've then, and I'm very fortunate to say, been able to evolve that where they've then suggested other interventions that they had or we've been able to try certain things or you know I've read more and learned more and it's become this continuing conversation where we are making adjustments all the time so even now in year eight where he had a new year head um, we are constantly meeting and adjusting in line with the developing needs that he has and I hope that that continues for him right through his education however far Um, or long that he goes in that to ultimately level the playing field. And I, I say that quite often to people because, you know, he is neurodiverse. His brain is wired in a particular way. That means that he learns differently and we need to adjust and adapt for that just as we would with somebody who has perhaps a physical disability. Um, And I know that there's a lot of emotions and um, conversation tied up in the nature of using the word disability, but I found it very useful to frame it in that way to others just to understand precisely that this is the way his brain is wired, that no amount of trying harder will change any of this and that we need to make reasonable adaptions just as workplaces are learning to have to do for adults in order to support that individual and get the best out of them because, you know, often they are so intelligent and curious and creative people. They're phenomenal problem solvers and And actually, if we can make adjustments to support their learning, we can really bring out all these amazing qualities that are so important to any education, um, rather than making things harder for them that can have a knock-on effect on self-esteem and then ultimately their ability to learn. Um, 
we, you know, we don't want a downward spiral. We want to be able to build them up. So I would say it's a continuous work in progress and the adjustments have have evolved a lot since day one, um, but they are necessary and those accommodations have and always will remain in place, whether that's as simple as, you know, for younger children having wobble cushions um, or regular movement breaks, or it's their position in the classroom to minimise visual distraction, where it's they, who they sit with on a table, who they learn well with, fiddle toys. Even now that he's older, um, the ability to take movement breaks um, as is necessary within the classroom I mean, the list goes on, but they are they're crucial and they make such a significant difference to um, to his success at school, I guess. And that's something that's really important to build on. So having ADHD isn't just something that obviously impacts you at school. It, it impacts every moment of life, um, every waking moment. Um, and I would say that today, um, although this has probably always been the case that mornings are a very challenging time in our house you know you wake up your brain is firing immediately it's going in search of dopamine you know there's lots of um functional tasks that have to happen in the morning when you get up to get yourself ready but it's perhaps hard to engage in those because they're boring and they don't engage your brain and they don't give you the dopamine you want. So you get distracted over here with your scooter or your basketball or, you know, it, it, I would say that even now that he is 12, our lives require a huge amount of scaffolding to get through each stage of the day um, and to keep to help keep him on task. That's a continual learning process. And, you know, when he was younger, obviously you do that anyway for younger children. But I feel that that support has had to continue. Um, nowadays, it's there because we're trying to help him recognise what he needs to do and how he can manage that um, to keep himself on task or to get himself out the door at a time that is necessary. And often, and again, this is a personal choice, but, you know, we use um, medication. He takes methylphenidate, which he takes in the morning and washes out of his system by the time he's going to bed. But in the morning, he isn't medicated. So it's even harder for his brain to focus on these tasks. Um, and as a result, it can also mean that the mornings can be quite emotional, quite volatile. Um, so, yes, they are not We'd have a calm start to the day in our house, I would say. Um but, you know, we work as a team to get everybody up and out um, and the ways in which we do that, they've evolved over time with age two. But they that that's the beginning, the start of the day. I would also say that um, the nature of his ADHD requires that he is moving all the time. He needs constant movement and constant stimulation to create that calm for himself Um and again, not all children with ADHD will present in this way, but he does. He's immensely energetic. And so once we're outside of the school day, a huge amount of time and energy goes into facilitating sport for him. Um, that's been one area where we have really been able to channel that energy positively, but also 
to build his self-esteem because he loves it so much and he is and he's naturally good at sport he enjoys it and he thrives in that environment so it becomes um, a needs must situation and at times as a parent that can feel quite overwhelming or you can feel like you're really stretching yourself quite thin particularly as my daughter's got older and she's had her own interest too because you're trying to be in multiple different places um, all the time it has been of immense value because the more we channel that energy and the more we're able to do so positively the the more we see that impact in him emotionally behaviorally you know, his ability to settle, for example, at the end of the day when we're winding down for bed, all sorts of things. Um, so those accommodations happen every moment of every day. Um, and there are times when you're tired and you just want a rest or you don't feel so great that you want to, you just want, I don't know, a lazy morning and there's part of you that just really wants to fight it or push back on it. And actually you end up giving yourself far greater problems so I have learned it's just easier to go with it um it's not forever and the benefits far far outweigh it um you know weather it sounds silly that can be hugely problematic for us as a, as a family and requires lots of different support and accommodation that way too because if he can't just simply be outside and moving that has an impact on behavior um or actually rather emotion, I should say. That's probably fair. And now that he's older. So it's a constant process of um, adjusting things and building in kind of good hygiene to do with things like sleep. You know, the ADHD brain um, has um, a delayed sleep onset compared to perhaps um, neurotypical and this isn't just children adults too and so it's harder to wind down at the end of the day because you know your body might be tired um, your brain might even be tired but you can't switch it off or you know you might get into bed and suddenly your brain your body stops moving but your brain almost wakes up because it's trying to replace one sort of movement and energy with another. And so we've had to learn to put lots of things in place to have a good approach to yeah, sleep hygiene, you know, what we're eating, when we're eating. Um, and I don't say that in an evangelical way, by the way, my son, whilst has a kind of very balanced diet, is also quite particular in what he eats so it's by no means some ultra um, clean healthy approach to eating but just to make sure that he's getting the energy that he needs that he's getting the nutritional elements that he needs you know that we're bringing um, supplements in at a deficiency level that help support his brain you know there's so much going on all of the time um, but I would say one overarching thing that applies to us and I know anecdotally from all of the people that I talk to that the the best thing is to create some sort of structure and some sort of routine and it's never going to be possible for every single day to look the same of course not but just certain parts of the day to have a consistency in your approach or timings um, because that really helps to regulate. I think it helps him know where he's at and often periods of change or when routines go 
out the window for various reasons, those can be quite unsettling. So in all of those um in all of those different parts of the day or different needs that as much consistency and structure as possible is probably the thing that that really helps us. I think there's a tendency with ADHD to focus on the difficulties and the challenges and the differences and the things that are hard and the you know those negative stereotypes um all the time and instead we really and I include myself in this and I try very hard to do it need to focus so much more on the strengths and the positives because there are so many so many of them not to say that that makes parenting a child with ADHD any easier it really really doesn't but in order to kind of celebrate the gift of this neurodiversity, you know, and it continues to exist for a reason, and also to help build their self-esteem because that is crucial to the way they see themselves and it has a knock-on impact on their emotions and their behaviours, is to celebrate those successes um, and the positives of your child. Um, And I would say that one of the things that I am most, most proud of um, my son for is just this amazing ability he has to pick himself up and to try again and to keep going. And that no matter how hard he finds something, that he will always try his best. He's got an amazing work ethic. um, And you know, naturally, he would probably rather apply that to sport than he would homework. But We have this conversation in our house when he's struggling with something or perhaps he's really disappointed because something hasn't gone as well as he might hoped at school. And the first thing I say to him is, did you try your did you try your hardest? Did you try your best? And he just does. He really does time and time again um, to the point that on the occasion when he doesn't, he just looks at me and rolls his eyes with such, (laughs) such infuriation um, in that pre-teen way where he's just like oh he knows he's got to kind of go away and do it again but he really does you know and we I was talking a lot about school and interventions earlier but one thing that's really become apparent about him as he's gone into that secondary phase and we're getting these school reports is how hard he tries at school all the time um one brilliant thing that they do my son's school do in the in their reports and I don't know if this is the case in all schools it should be if it's not is that they give their um, attainment grades but they also give an effort grade for every subject and you can just see consistently across the board that he is giving maximum effort to everything that he does um, and I just genuinely couldn't be prouder of him for that because it's really hard to be in an environment that can almost cause you physical pain and distress because it's so difficult for you to concentrate. It's so difficult for you to be still. It's so difficult for you to focus. You know, he also has dyslexia, so it's also really difficult for him to learn and be in a classroom the way that other children are. And yet, despite that, he continues to try his hardest. And I just think that's just an amazing, amazing strength. Um, And he's also just a really kind kid he's hugely empathetic he's just always since a toddler had this ability to ability 
to be so aware of other people's emotions and to really tune into that. And you will never see that more so than when he's with younger children. Um, he He's just incredible with them. And it just fills my heart with so much joy because, you know, we, we worry about our kids, don't we? All of us do. But particularly when we have a neurodiversity or we're dealing with emotional dysregulation and you, you naturally project forward into all the things that you're worried about that could go wrong or in their future or what they may or may not struggle with. And it's in those moments that you just see that, you know, he's a really, he's a great kid um, and I'm so proud of him and I'm really proud of the journey that we are on together because there is no doubt that being his mum, which has obviously presented numerous challenges and will continue to do so, has made me a better person because I've had to really lean into you know, who he is and and what he needs and and what we can do just to continue to support him and build up his sense of self. I think there's a statistic that says that um, children with ADHD have received 20,000 more negative messages than a neurotypical child by the time they're 12. And I just think that's tragic because, you know, if you think what that does to your self-esteem and the long-term lasting impacts that have, and, you know, we're all guilty of it. I am, you know, saying his name with exacerbation because I'm frustrated at having to say the same thing for the hundredth time that day or, um, because we keep finding ourselves in a you know repeated situation, but um, despite that, I think it's working together to really channel that. Um, and it's cliched, but I do believe that ADHD is a superpower. I do believe that it brings a whole array of just amazing qualities that um, you know neurotypical people or mere mortals sometimes I joke um can't replicate you know that energy that creativity that drive that hyper focus um really amazing things come with that so um I try yeah I'm so I'm so proud of him and I try really hard to remember those in the in the hard times um when you're having the difficult moments because they happen every single day but it's just trying to celebrate the the positives and and hold on to those and build on them. I've obviously been on this journey now for 6 years and I am continuously learning and what I know about ADHD today is just worlds apart from the person or I was or the knowledge I had when I walked out of that diagnosis that day. Um but I would say if you are at the beginning of this journey and you are standing there thinking, you know, what now, where next? It's just to know for the first thing that you are absolutely not alone. Even if you feel that you can't see this existing around you, that you don't yet have friends who understand what you're going through or you haven't yet come across other children with ADHD, we are here <laughs> And we are plentiful and we we understand. And I think it's really important to try and find that community, find that support. Um, it's one of the main reasons that I set up um, the support group ADHD Winchester, local to where I live, because I felt so alone at the beginning of that journey. I really felt like I had nobody um, and I just never wanted anybody else to feel that way. I just wanted, 
even just the simple um, comfort of having somebody understand what you're going through or being able to listen without judgment or to be able to sense check something or to ask for a, a recommendation or a resource or an idea. It's so, it's so, so invaluable. And my first help came through Instagram um, because I happened to read an article that somebody had written about their son. And it was the first time ever that I saw elements of my son shining back at me like a mirror. And I, in in actual desperation, I just reached out to this person online on Instagram um, in response to her article. And, and that was my first friend. That was the first support that I had. And to this day, I still have never met her, um, even though we've tried to and we've been in similar places, similar times. We've never actually met in person, but it's having that support. It's so, so important. So, you know, reach out, find people, talk to people and and join a community that can help you on that journey um, because it, it is a minefield and it can feel really overwhelming, not just in terms of where to start or what help to get or how to even get a diagnosis in the first instance, but also just to support you emotionally and what you're going through, free of judgment from people that understand. Um, I would say that's probably the thing that drives me every day. It's why I'm sitting here recording this right now and it's why I want to build this podcast um, and why I want to be able to build a, a community beyond the one that I have local to where I live because I know that there are so many people like me who are at the beginning of this journey who feel very, very alone. Um, and you're not, you are definitely not. There are some amazing resources out there um, that we can help you with. Um, and whether that's in person or just by listening to something like this, there's so many resources out there. And, and secondly, I would say just keep reading and keep learning or you know if you're dyslexic you don't like reading keep listening to um podcasts and audiobooks and things just to try and upskill yourself in understanding you ADHD for your child and any other neurodiversities they might have because I think knowledge is power and I found that immensely valuable and I do try to build on that constantly so that I have an even better understanding of what it really really means to have ADHD beyond the stereotypes um, and that will be different for everybody because what everyone's child needs is quite unique but you know try just to do this one step at a time um find a community, find your people, get some help and support along the way and just keep learning and keep evolving um, in that process. That's what we're here for. That's ultimately what led me to create this podcast, to want to expand what I'm doing um, locally with the community that we have where, um, where I live, which is ADHD Winchester, is that I have become more and more and more aware over the last number of years how alone people do feel and how immensely valuable it is just to be able to reach out and rant or reach out and ask a question. Um, it makes that journey feel so much, I don't want to use the word easier, but safer to navigate perhaps, knowing that you're not alone and that there is somebody or um, a group of people out there that 
are there doing it alongside you and may not have the exact same circumstances you have or the exact same child obviously or even the presentation and the situation but that they share an understanding and a a care ultimately of how you're doing and how your child is doing so I decided to record this podcast that's where All Aboard came from because I wanted to be able to share this beyond just my local community and create a resource for people whereby they can either just sit and listen to stories like this one with myself and over the coming weeks and months I will be interviewing other parents who are sharing real life journeys, real life stories of them and their experiences and their child with ADHD so that you over time will hopefully hear many, many, many stories that resonate with you and make you feel more connected and part of something bigger and start to see these things more positively, even if it's just the ability um, to laugh at some of those situations in hindsight, but also to be able to interview experts and to share that expert information with you, whether you are at the beginning of this journey where you're thinking, you know, right, what now? Or you're further down the line and you're asking what next? To be able to bring you insight from experts in terms of ADHD itself, whether that's the very basics of what it is and the um, elements that go alongside that, or whether that's into the many, many, many topics and fields that are connected to ADHD, whether directly or indirectly, and and hopefully help your journey and help your understanding of all the connected ways that we can learn to help our children through just building a community, helping them to celebrate themselves, or to connect ourselves to new information, new research, and new things to try to make our lives all a little bit easier. I'm Claire. Thank you so much for listening to All Aboard today. I've been so honoured to share my personal story with you as the opening episode on this podcast and to give you a taste of what's to come over coming episodes where we will be sharing other people's stories so that you can relate firsthand to real life situations, helping you feel less alone and also to the expert interviews that will follow that will hopefully share insights and new information to help you and your family on this journey. You are most definitely not alone. You are very welcome. This is our community. So welcome to All Aboard and thank you for listening. (laughs) 